CFO Journals, a strategic planning podcast by Previdere, is the place for candid conversations about business planning and forecasting using AI and predictive analytics in order to provide more clarity in a time of uncertainty. Let's dive in. Uh, but we really appreciate your time uh, and love to hear more about your background. So my background is sort of going way, way back. My education is in both finance and accounting, a degree in both. And it was just such invaluable advice that I received from a college professor that understanding both sides, really, sort of the finance, the corporate finance and the accounting side would be invaluable to me. And that has proven so. I spent sort of my early days in a controllership role, assistant controllership, so really getting grounded in the accounting, which then really helped me when I moved into a corporate F or a corporate FP&A role over at Gap Inc. So joined Gap Inc., did many, many rotations through various uh, finance roles, corporate finance, business unit facing, controllership, and really got a very well-rounded um, understanding of, uh, of, of how to manage and run a finance uh, team. And so I sort of made my way through most of the uh, roles and teams through um, at Gap Inc. and had a really exciting opportunity to step outside of finance. It was a corporate, or sorry, excuse me, an executive sponsored rotation in the air, in the payments division at Gap Bank. So highly profitable. It was a role really sort of like a mini GM role. So I owned a product line from user experience down to, you know, sort of the financial position and outlook of that product. And I think that position for me really opened my eyes to how critical the finance support can be. And, and what it really means to show up and be a true FPNA partner. I also had the experience of making the decisions around product enhancements, uh, product positioning, value proposition. And so it was a very, at first, sort of foreign experience to me, moving from an advisor, advisor position to really like someone who's making the decisions. I really am passionate about finance and I think because of my curiosity, just being sort of a naturally curious person, I still had that sort of desire to see what was happening across the entire company, not just in my division and with my product line. So I decided to make a move to Twitter, changing industries, going back to finance, and was presented with an opportunity to really rebuild an FP&A team. So I was able to rebuild from the ground up and then scale the FP&A business unit support team. That's what I've been doing for the last four and a half years. It's been sort of a wild and fantastic ride. The scope in the beginning was narrowly pointed at real estate and some of the GNA functions and now has expanded to touch parts of engineering, I now am, um, I oversee sort of like an equivalent to a SaaS business that we have at Twitter data licensing from revenue through OpEx. So it's been really, my time at Twitter has been such a high point and a highlight in my career. Yeah. Well, it does sound like quite the, the variety of, 
of industries you've worked in in finance uh, as well. Now, you know, it's been a, you know, two and a half years of pretty much turmoil for every industry. And, and the finance function, I think, is impacted by this quite significantly in, in organizations, both in the tech world, uh, probably also thinking of, of, you know, Gap Inc. and the apparel world and others. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about, you know, how the uncertainty of the last couple of years has impacted kind of your role and maybe even your team? Yeah, you know, it's really, it's, it's a great question. And it's interesting to reflect back sort of the chapters that we've been through over the last two and a half years. You know, sort of early on, March 2020, it was like this not necessarily crisis mode, but it was this very quick change to change the way we work, change the way we support our, our business partners, change the way we look at the PL. But it was a very, very short term, like our outlook on the impact was very short term. It was like March 2020, okay, this is going to impact us for a quarter. And it was sort of like every you know, sort of graph we looked at, whether it was in the real estate function or uh, revenue or users, it was either like this tick down, tick up, and then sort of normalize. And we kept moving through sort of these chapters, these quarters of expecting things to return, and they still sort of have it, right? So we think about like, oh, are things just like they were in, you know, 2019? They're really not. And so we really had to pivot. I think I would say when it really resonated with me was right around September, 2020, you know, we had been at it for six months and really realized like life was not going to resume as it was in 2019. And so from then on, we took a shorter term view at where you know, business sort of would resume. And I, I think, you know, it's been an interesting bridge to go from COVID now into, you know, a recession or looking at a recession. I didn't read the news. This, I, I think there was something that came out in the last couple of hours, but looking into a very, very different economic period, I think we still are short-term focused. Yeah. It, what do you think was the most significant challenge during that time? If you had to pick one thing that was, you felt was the most difficult to overcome? Yeah, you know, I uh, I have the good fortune of working with really smart, smart individuals and a team of uh, incredible finance athletes that we've developed at Twitter. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, could we keep running scenarios? Could we nail down the net the metrics that we should be looking at to gauge and drive the business? It was really um, the most challenging thing was the the. The, the human experience in it all. To have a team sort of unilaterally going through some sort of personal struggle to some extent, whether it was their parents had COVID or they were stuck in, you know, a bedroom in a house that they share with five other people for months on end. It was managing that all at once was by far and away the most challenging part. And then to have you know, your business partners and your leaders and your peers also sort of in the same boat. It was very challenging. Yeah. It, how did you really deal with those? Did you implement any new, you know, ways of operating, any mandates on, on employee engagement, time off? What were kind of the things that helped you navigate it? 
I think as those in the finance profession can appreciate, generally when there are sharp changes in the business, that is one finance really is required to sort of step forward and the work accelerates for the team. And so that there was no exception in our case. And so there was a lot of, a lot of burnout. And so what I, I mean, Twitter was great in the sense that we implemented days of rest because people weren't taking their time off. But for me, I really needed actually to force my leaders and my team, people, folks on my team to take time off. And so we went, we just did a rotation and we actually, I was able to give two weeks off at a time to various folks on my team. So it was really actually forcing time off on these individuals. Some people used work as an escape, others used it, you know, as they, you know, the, the work was sort of unending and there was an inability to, to, to step back. And so it sort of got to the point where we all realized, and I had to step, stand forward as a leader and say, you know, the, the work is going to be here. The scenarios are going to be here in two weeks. You've got to take care of yourself in order to be here for the next thing that we're facing. Yeah, that that's, that's good feedback and, and input. Now, you know, we've had two quarters of declining GDP, um, at least as released today. Uh, and, you know, it, it really is another external force uh, besides the pandemic that's come up besides the labor issues and geopolitical issues. Uh, they're really impacting companies and especially the Office of Finance in many different ways, whether it's labor, it's supply chain, it's geopolitical, it's pandemic related in another wave possibly or another variant, um, and, and now declining overall economy. What advice would you have for, you know, helping companies navigate this volatile economic climate? Yeah, it's a great question. And we've been looking at it already for many months. There is, I, I think that we need to be flexible. We need to be ready to scale back in very specific areas. Something that really resonated with me that one of the founders of Google actually shared at one point was in a previous economic downturn, they shut off hiring across the board. And looking back at that, they recognized that it actually stagnated their growth. And so, you know, my advice and what we look at is where are the smart places where we can pull back? Where are the smart places where we can delay? And where do we really want to continue? to invest in growth so that when we do recover, when the broader, the broader economy recovers, we aren't set back quarters, years, because we, across the board, halted growth. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting story um, and, and, you know, good point. I experienced a very similar thing in 2008 is I worked in a Fortune 500 uh, with the CEO and CFO that led their IT organization. We are a global company. Uh, so like most companies in October 2008, huge decline in the markets. Well, we start planning to, you know, reduce staff. And a large part of our business was in Europe. And to go through the European unions and to lay off people is a long process. And if we look back in it, two things kind of came to my attention as I started looking at leading indicators. One, uh, the signals for that downturn were in 2007. They were early. We just weren't paying attention. 
Secondly, by the time we were able to lay off people in Europe, we were in recovery. So, you know, we, we go through the months, several months long process, start to reduce people. That's when everything was coming back. So then we had to change course again. Uh, so I think it's, it's one of those things that by the time companies react to it, you may be through a good part of it, if not all of it. So how you behave during these times, I think really can set you up for success or failure. You know, those yeah. smart companies, good companies, may be investing in people right now, right. if they can, right? And they're gonna pull talent, it, it could set them up. There are very few opportunities in our professional careers for these big swings, I think, and these big bets you can place. Uh, so I think it's an interesting time to see what companies do, but a great point by, uh, by Google and, and what you guys are doing. Now, a big part of that and big part of talking about that is, is really seeing the future, right? Forecasting and, and giving guidance to the business um, about where we think things are going or where, where we are in recovery or maybe where we are in decline. What role do, does your team play in the forecasting process at Twitter? Yeah, well, my team specifically is business facing. So we support the various functions across the organization from real estate to council, CFO, finance organization. And so really right now, you know, we are working with our teams to understand their prioritization, you know, sort of like what is their one, two, three on the things that they want to fund, the teams that need help. And so we're in a position right now where we're really trying to organize and prioritize our needs. We haven't yet really, you know, stepped into like a broad action mode of like pulling back or making large uh, company decisions. But really, as you sort of mentioned, the broader economy changed sharply. I mean, I think there were some indicators for other folks, you know, they were really riding this wave of accelerated growth through COVID. If they were one of those fortunate businesses like Zoom or some of these other payments businesses, so right now with our team, we are deeply embedded with our partners to understand what their, you know, their top three priorities are looking into the back half of the year. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and how about more of the tactical as well? I mean, do you guys send out, you know, material templates in Excel to, to start that forecasting process or to revise it? Um, do you collect input? and kind of put it together for leaders, you know, above you and the CFO. Um, what about the tactical process around it? Yeah, tactical. So, you know, we do leverage templates. Templates really only tell you so much that Twitter and Google and Facebook and a lot of the other tech organizations they have, and we have strategy and operations teams. So we, we work really closely with executive staff minus one and strategy and ops and HRBPs to talk through priorities and planning for the next quarter. Templates are a part of what we do, but really helping from a thought partnership, executive staff minus one, sort of like what do they have to work with and, and where do they want to, what priorities do they want to fund? So it's a, it's a combination of both. I mean, there are the templates, but there also are more deeper organizational conversations or operational conversations that we have with each leader. 
And then we roll up the forecast and present it to them in our, you know, sort of our schedules and sheets and all that good stuff with commentary. Yeah. Yeah. Finance is, is heavily into their templates and sheets, certainly. As much as we want everything to be in a system, it's it's one function that um, you know typically still relies heavily on on things they create and develop and spend a lot of time on, um, it, which is interesting. Now, when we talk about um, forecast and and volatile times, you know what what do you think the impact is to the organization if if maybe the numbers don't come in you know where you believed, whether it's uh, you know, advertising revenue or other things, you know, what's kind of the impact of a, either a, a misforecast on the high side, or if you've under forecast, you know, what, what happens? Do you make any changes? Can you quantify what that does to the org? Uh, what's the reaction by leaders? Yeah. So as a best practice with any forecast, um, I think as we all know, it's a snapshot in time. We like to include risks and opportunities at that snapshot in time. And so then as we move through actuals and see how either the forecast, whether it's top line or expenses are turning out, say we miss top line and we would be looking for some sort of offset in the expense side, we already have sort of a short list of places to go opportunity, whether it's pulling back, delaying and timing, various other levers. So it it's nice to set your forecast up with a broader understanding of risks and opportunities so that as you move through to how things actualize, you already have a sense of what your levers are to either dial up or dial down. And it's adjusting things like expenses and maybe working capital, it sounds, which you know can, can delay things and delay initiatives, et cetera. Um, and it can also fuel initiatives as well if, it, if it's on the high side. Well, you know, you've been around finance for a long time, several organizations. Have you seen the forecast and planning process change or maybe even the inputs and data into the forecast? Has it changed at all in, in your career? I'm not quite sure if it's, yes, it has. I'm not quite sure if it's an evolution over time or a difference in industries, but I definitely observe more context needed with numbers. And so what I used to see is more transactional. Now I'm seeing FP&A and finance teams being built out more of like finance and strategy. And so with that, just a lot more context around the data is being asked for. And any different inputs are you guys, do you leverage external data on, you know, consumers, consumer behavior, ad spends, marketing share, um, or is it, is it still inward data and internal data and, and maybe, you know, forecasts that are brought from a sales team or other departments? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I mean, we leverage external data for revenue users, but also how we're investing our dollars on a comparative basis and from we do benchmarking where it's gets a little bit tricky and challenging is specifically with benchmarking data of how we're investing. It's difficult to find a direct compare, particularly with Twitter. And so, and I imagine that's like, that's, that's a similar problem with many organizations. And so the benchmarking data is helpful as another data point out there to compare what could be possible or what others are doing out there. 
but it by no means becomes a North Star. I think really sort of where the magic happens is being able to consume those various data points, whether external and internal, and really start to guide your own path. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, thinking about the finance teams um, and your experience in them, are there some things that are done in finance and, and performed by the finance team that you think maybe are becoming less necessary or are there some things vice versa that finance teams should start doing that maybe they're not typically doing today? Things that I think that they should start do or continue to do is become more involved in the operations. Where I've seen finance teams sort of fall short is in the transactional nature of their engagement with the business. Where I've seen finance teams really thrive is seeking to understand a little bit more around the why and the operations of the business. And that's really where I've seen a lot of impact and influence by the finance teams. So I guess if I were to reframe your question, the stop is the, and where the value is sort of trailing off is in that transactional relationship with partners, internal business partners. And where I would say the start is, is to really, really seek deeper understanding for the operations and the strategy of the business area that you support, whether it's you know, revenue or something within the expense side of the business. Yeah, no, I think that's a good lesson. And as some of others that I've talked to have mentioned, it's, it's kind of going from being in the back of the boat, kind of the engine room, kind of accounting and controlling to maybe trying to get out front a little bit more, um, be a more strategic partner to the business. And I think finance just lends itself to that. Um, but there certainly can be a gap, you know, if you're in a finance department and in the weeds of numbers and closing the book of really understanding what the business does, you know, and and, and where the business needs to go or what, how that ties back to, to finance. So I think that's a great point. Um, do you, and you mentioned a little bit of change in the kind of way you operate, not just people wise and giving more time off, but I think I heard the word scenarios. Are there some things that have changed in either the frequency, uh, the number of forecasts, the meetings you have with the business uh, that you think changed during the pandemic that may be long lasting changes? that stay here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think some of the big changes, I mean, certainly in the way that we work in a remote environment, how we communicate, work async with our partners and with our teammates. But in terms of scenario planning, there's more of it. And I think that there is more, and this is really, really where the importance of your understanding of the business and the operations comes into play. There's more quick decisions. So where I've seen teams or exercises fall down is an effort to cover every surface area, consume and analyze every piece of data. I'm not seeing as much of that anymore and seeing more scenario planning and more quicker decisions. And I think that's something we really learned out of COVID was it, things change so quickly. Your scenario is stale as soon as, you know, sort of you put your pen down and the ink starts to dry. And so you kind of, you can't wait around to act and you, you know, you need to make a decision on based on your best knowledge of the state today or now. 
Yeah, I think we've seen it a lot with our customers. You know, we we used to have many industries that would go on these trends, you know, these long periods of growth and and slow down and were very predictable um, and may have several months in advance of signals or clues of the changing consumer or, you know, changing industries or economy. And it would give us lead time to, to kind of see that and plan for it. And what, what we've seen is lead time shrank to, to some industries to zero, right? Al- although the service industry and restaurants and things used to kind of ebb and flow with discretionary spending, right? And, and people and, and mobility and household savings, but they just couldn't even open in that case, right? So there was no lead time for this. Uh, for their business to go from a normal operating business to nothing for a period of time. And then it was up and down uh, with much shorter lead times, I think. So it does feel like decisions are being made faster um, and and really people are, are willing to do it uh, as well as you know keep up with industry changes and they realize that they're gonna have to meet and talk more. Uh, so that, that makes a, a lot of sense to me, what you're saying, even in an industry like Twitter, right? Which is a little bit unique, as you mentioned, every company is. However, it's not one of these industries that's been around 30, 40, 50, 100 years uh, that's been through this before. Uh, and nobody's been through a pandemic, but even recessions, we were much different companies, I think, at that point than where you are today. So I appreciate the information. I'm sure people enjoy it as well. It's, it's really all the questions I have for today, Lisa, and I wanted to thank you once again for taking the time to share your wisdom. Bet. It's been a pleasure uh, to meet you and the team and uh, to talk about finance and FP&A. Yeah, great. Thank you again. Take care, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to CFO Journals, a Previdary podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. Please give us a rating, leave a comment, and share episodes you love. That helps us keep bringing you actionable conversations from finance industry leaders. Thank you for listening. Until next time.